0: Hi, thanks for
1: listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again, or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you.
0: Let us pray. Holy God, help us receive the good news, however it comes to us. Amen. When Paul writes the church in Corinth, he does so in a way that we would today call consulting.
1: The Corinthian church that he helped establish has become somewhat siloed, divided, economically between rich and poor, racially between Jewish and Gentile, spiritually between the charismatic and those who just don't get that speaking in tongues strategically between those who think that the church should emphasize education and those who think that the church should be more prophetic, and philosophically between those who look to the church to do great things in the world and those who look to the church as a place of escape and comfort. Of course, every group in this world has affinity groups within them. It's naive to think that it would not be so. But what Paul does not like seeing, though, is that the groups have become a bit, well, judgy. Each one, each group has individuals who are guilty of their own sort of elitism. That is as true for those who feel they are the ones most discriminated against in the Corinthian church as it is true for those who are rich or super spiritual. Now, elitism is not everybody's attitude in the Corinthian church, but Paul is concerned enough that people think this way that he needs to take on a consulting role. He reminds the Corinthian Christians not to despise what they have built. Remember the beauty and wonder, the power and purpose of a community that was organized to know and spread God's love. Each group has something to offer and everyone has their own gifts and that's glorious, he says. If the church will only live by grace, the factions can hold each other accountable and the gifts of all can be put to good use in accomplishing the overall goal of growing into and sharing the good news of Jesus. Our few verses from First Corinthians are just a sample of Paul's consulting work. Listen for the word of God that unites us despite our differences. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive
0: for the greater gifts, and I'll show you a still more excellent way. The Word of the Lord. Maybe some of you are thinking, what do you mean saying the word of
1: the Lord and stopping there? Why don't you keep going? Paul was just about to share a still more excellent way. What is it? Well, I'm sorry, that's not what my sermon's about. <laughs> Paul takes 12 more chapters to present this more excellent way and doesn't fully get to the point till in chapter 13, he makes it clear that the more excellent way is love. I might as well be just a spoiler because I'm not preaching about this, but it's love. God's kind of selfless love that is shown to us in Jesus. Love that is not like the way the factions of the Corinthian church have sometimes behaved, because it's love that is patient and kind, not jealous or boastful, not arrogant or rude. Love that does not insist on its own way, but delights in what is true, even if it's someone else's truth. It's a love that believes, that hopes, that endures. And maybe you're ready for a good sermon about God's love. I mean, after all, we need more love in this world,
0: right? But that is not what my sermon is about. My sermon isn't about love. It is about organizing.
1: My sermon is about the organization, boundaries, rules, and traditions that can keep A community like the Corinthian Church together and moving along so that it can better know and share God's love. In a word, my sermon is about institutions. Now, don't leave, that'd be rude. Those of you who are online, don't sign out. I know that institutions is a word that brings some unpleasant things to mind rules, regulations. Buildings, red tape, institutions bring to mind the idea of conformity, even though conformity is the exact opposite of what Paul is arguing for when he does his consulting work to build the Corinthian church. Impersonal is something else that comes to mind, even though that is also something that Paul does not argue for. Paul wants to build a community of mutual caring, But it's true, though, that sometimes institutions can be more about organizations than the people they organize. Jesus ran into this, those times when a system of law, a religion, a government seemed to exist more for the rules than the people the rules are for, more for buildings than the programs and people within them, more for traditions than for those who inherit them. When we hear the word institutions, we might think of something big and cumbersome, something that limits us rather than frees us, something that doesn't age well even as the world around us changes. But most of all, when we hear the word institutions, the word that might come to mind is boring. Maybe the first thing the word inspires is one huge yawn. I've been preaching sermons with one word titles, and maybe I should have thought this one through before titling this one institutions. I didn't worry about those who are in the sanctuary or online because you didn't know what the title of my sermon was going to be before you showed up. But what about those who listen to our Sermon on the Mount podcast? Maybe they're... Going about to go on a five-hour bike trip, and they want to listen to something besides This American Life or Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and Cereal to pass the time on that drive. And they look over the titles, and they see the sermons that Elizabeth and Ben have preached, Sheep Without a Shepherd, A Rose from Concrete, A Night of Unknowing, and they think, yeah, those would be worth listening. listen. Or maybe they would look at my one-word titles, and they think, I'll listen to a sermon called Happiness. I want to be more happy. I'll listen to a sermon called Storms because I've been going through a bit of a storm lately. I'll listen to one called Truth because our country doesn't seem to care anymore about what is actually true. But institutions? I don't want to fall asleep at the wheel. I'll pass. (laughs) I think it might end up being the least downloaded
0: sermon of the whole series. But I chose that word for the title because it is boring. What I want us to
1: consider today is that sometimes the best news that is out there is boring news. I'll try not to bore you with this sermon, but I am struck by how some of the best news about life together can be missed because it seems mundane and ordinary, same old, same old. I am struck about how quickly we want to tear down institutions because of their obvious flaws and forget what great news is lost simply because the good that they do has become so mundane. In a way, I'm playing off of last Sunday's sermon. Last Sunday, I quoted Steven Pinker, who asked why so many of us don't even know the good news about So much progress that has been made in our world. News of poverty and war deaths dropping worldwide. News of life expectancy, literacy, and education rising worldwide. And in answering his own question, one reason that he gives is that we humans are storytelling creatures. We tend to be fascinated with what is interesting, and what usually is more interesting is what we found shocking, worrisome, frightening. And so when a topic comes up, I said last week, we tend to immediately remember the last bad thing we heard. And because we remember better how things go wrong over how things go right, we start to feel that conditions are getting worse even when they are not. We even tend to be pessimistic about the world, even as we are optimistic about our own personal futures. That's what I said last week but I want to say this week that that's also true with institutions. Even though progress in this world would be impossible without them. Even though there are often good reasons to complain and bemoan institutions for when and where they fall short, we miss so much good news about what is accomplished because we have them. In fact, Pinker says, the answer as to why so much progress has been made the last few centuries is that with the rise of reason and science, focus and resources has shifted from trying to save the world one person at a time while letting businesses and governments do their thing to creating and building institutions that are organized to accomplish those things that are near and dear to the hearts of those who care about human well-being near and dear even to the heart of Jesus, the one we follow here at Second Presbyterian. That world illiteracy has increased from around 10% in 1800 to 86% today is not because parents decided on their own individually to educate their children. I mean, that would have been a trick because the parents themselves were illiterate. It was because schools were organized. That the percentage of those who are on the verge of starvation has dropped so radically the past century is because of organized farming and distribution. That wars have decreased in the world so radically is because governments, for all their many flaws, have worked to avoid them. Major breakthroughs in health have happened because of institutions conducting research with funding from other institutions.
0: And yet, think about this. When it comes to health care or education or the government,
1: have you heard or read more about what is right about them the last few
0: years or more about what needs to be fixed? You can correct me, but my guess is more negative than positive.
1: Taken too far, that leads to cynicism to the claims that nothing has changed, and to the destructive impulse that we have seen from both the left and the right to just go ahead and tear down institutions because why not?
0: It can't get worse. Yes, it can. Now, of course, let's not get carried away. Institutions
1: do need to be held accountable, and they need critique. And sometimes, as we remember from the Old Testament prophets and from Jesus, hyperbolic criticism can serve a purpose. Institutions will stagnate if they don't change. They will help less, possibly harm more, if they're not scrutinized as to whether they are achieving their purpose or simply trying to survive. And sometimes it just takes some screeching to get people's attention. Let's remember what institutions basically are. Boiled down, very simply put, institutions are basically the necessary means by which a community achieves its shared purposes. And those purposes can be hateful as they can be for healing. But in criticizing the institution that was the church in Corinth, Paul, the consultant, was not suggesting that the church ceased to be. He was asking the church how well it was achieving its purpose of sharing God's love. So, yes, sometimes God's hand is often at work when more attention is given to what needs to be fixed than what is going right. Sometimes there is a place for hyperbole and its virtue of being interesting by providing shock and inspiring anger and fear if it draws attention to what needs to be addressed, what needs to be changed. But today... I'm going to stand up for the exhausted parents of many a novel who are so readily criticized by their children for their impatience and their lack of understanding of their children's unique gifts, for their inability to change, who just day after day
0: work hard to keep a roof over those children's head, food on the table, and the children safe from harm. We're in worship, so let's consider the institution of the church.
1: In fact, let's consider the institution of Second Presbyterian Church. I realize that I've picked a bad example. While church denominations get plenty of withering critique these days, I realize that this is a congregation that is so blessed with the overwhelming support of its members I mean, my goodness, and hearing stories of other ministers who are in divided congregations or who say they can't win for trying because everything that is tried to help the church is shot down by someone. I cannot tell you how thankful I am that I have the privilege of serving here with you. You spoil us ministers. A lot of hard work, but we are spoiled. If I were serving as a church consultant, this sermon really should be given in another pulpit but I have multiple goals in preaching this sermon about boring good news. I want us to reflect on our need as members of the Roanoke community, as citizens of this country, and as members of the human race to think twice before giving up on or turning against the institutions that need reforming, but which are necessary if any progress is to be made. And then, because we live in a time when it's so popular to be derisive toward community efforts like schools, governments, and religions, I want to point to some good news that is right here
0: in front of us at 2nd as a case study. Consider social justice. We hear that term when we think
1: of protests and moments of memorial disruption. And to be clear, good trouble is part of what social justice requires
0: but maybe the most significant
1: and lasting transformation on behalf of justice and compassion is something that is sort of boring to talk about because it's worked through the systems of institutions yong
0: for instance how about this for boring good news This church pays its bills. Month by
1: month, salaries and bills are paid so that programs of worship and education are possible where day by day, week by week, a community is maintained. Much good comes over the years from worship and education. But I'll tell you what, let's move past that to what some of the most fierce critics of congregations have stressed, and this is that the church should be more about missions. Well... This congregation, like other congregations in Roanoke, pays its bills. Every single month, money is sent to institutions like the Presbyterian Community Center, Family Promise, Habitat for Humanity, to help all the ways that they help families, which are institutions in and of themselves, get out of crisis, receive education, find and keep jobs, and live viable lives. Wake up, y'all. Y'all don't go to sleep. I know this is boring, that hundreds of people live better lives because we pay our bills every month. That's not nearly as exciting as a story of someone pulling someone out of a burning car, or leaving a big tip for a waitress who seems down on her luck, or speaking out at a community gathering about something that is wrong in the world. This is the boring stuff of what Paul is reminding the Corinthians that the most life-affirming work that we can do, we can't do on our own. That the body of Christ needs all the gifts of its members so that not just in a crisis or not just during a protest or not just when it's exciting or fun and certainly not just when it's about what my particular faction thinks is important, but so that we can add value to our life together that day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year and century after century, we can do the same old, same old good work of spreading the good news of
0: Christ in an ongoing, ultimately world-transforming way. Or let's... Think about the dramatic and exciting thing that we're seeking to do here
1: through the Mission Build campaign. That campaign is not an every day, every year, or even an every generation kind of thing. I mean, we're helping to build a hospital in the DR and a new facility for the Presbyterian Community Center. We're helping to renovate two buildings, one to be a leadership institute at a seminary, and another across the street to provide housing for the potentially homeless and a place for folks to remotely visit loved ones in prison. That stuff is not boring. It's one of the most interesting things that this church has ever done. But the most exciting news about what we're trying to do will end up being boring, good news of institutions. We're trying to build a hospital that month after month and year after year will heal and repair bodies, mostly of the poor. We're creating an institute at Union Seminary that month after month and year after year will equip pastors for better ministry that will have ongoing effects in their churches, We're providing a house that month after month, year after year will help heal families. We are building a facility so that month after month, year after year, even more families will be helped in many of the same ways
0: that they've been helped before. We'll probably not even end up noticing most of what will come of it all. Same old,
1: same old, this grinding, everyday, unrelenting good
0: news that over time just simply changes lives and the world. I hope you hung in there with me with all this institutional stuff. Maybe
1: I'll try to make things more interesting next week. Maybe get you mad about something or upset rather than this boring stuff about people with different gifts and different perspectives cooperating and organizing to get good work done Even for those times when we're not even paying attention.
0: Second Presbyterian Finding Direction by Following Jesus.